Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. Right. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Meredith McGough. We're at Union Wine Company in Tualatin, May 5th, 2021. Meredith, thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. Uh, first question, most important question to get started is why wine? Why wine? Um, so my mom likes to take credit for why wine, um, and in some ways, many ways, rightfully so. Um, my mom's side of my family is Italian, so I've been drinking wine since I was probably too young to be drinking wine, um, at least in this country. Um, so um, yeah, we, my parents were always happy for us to have you know little sips with dinner. And um, when I was in high school, uh, I went to West Lynn, so not far away, and um, was trying to decide what I wanted to go to college for. It's such a funny thing that like we ask 18-year-olds to figure out, 17-year-olds to figure out what they want to do with the rest of their lives. Uh, at that age, but um, my mom and a friend went on like a wine trip to uh, Napa actually, and my mom came back and was like, did you know that you can go to school for wine? Um, but I mean, ultimately I, I wanted to make wine, decided to study wine because of the combination of art and science. Mm -hmm. I was always, um, yeah, really very interested in the sciences, um, but also had had spent some time visiting wineries in, in the Willamette Valley with my with my family and their friends. Um, since I turned 16, I was, you know, designated driver as they'd go wine tasting. So, um, yeah, I, Italian family, and then just sort of meeting people in the wine industry and realizing what a down-to-earth community it was. And um, I mean, I think I'm one of the few actually who studied wine um, in my class at school who have who's stuck with it but um because it's not as glamorous as a lot of people think uh more idyllic but yeah mm -hmm. but i ultimately really liked the hard work and sort of dirty uh getting dirty and cleaning and um yeah tell me about your impressions of the wine industry from when you can remember when you like you said being kind of visiting and being a designated driver what were your impressions of Oregon wine that you could first ones you can remember remember uh, I mean a lot of it was just the vineyards and being outside and um, visiting I mean it was often visiting Oregon wineries on some of the beautiful days when it felt like we had fewer beautiful days than we do now, but like mm -hmm. the, some of the first days in spring going out, um, going out and just loving being outside and all the green and all the vegetation. And, um, but then also like the sort of hubbub and buzz in mm -hmm. tasting rooms and some of the excitement and um, yeah, I, I remember being a little bit intimidated, and I remember actually being, my mom's a feminist through and through, and poor woman, like growing up, I was always like, I'm not a feminist, until, until I got older and realized, oh yeah, it's important to identify as a feminist. Um, and so I remember actually visiting wineries and when we would 
talk to or hear from people who were winemakers. I remember seeing a lot of male, male uh, winemakers out there and recognizing even you know in high school that there were not a lot of women in this field. So um, in spite of my uh, pushing back against the, the, <laughs> the label of feminist as a young child, I think I, like, I was certainly influenced to, um, by my mom to, uh, to really want to break some barriers there and um, yeah, be, be a female presence where there was not one or at least not as visible a one. There certainly was one, but it wasn't something that I remember seeing much of. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you, your mom came back with this idea that you could go to school for wine. So yeah. was, that, was that, were you immediately on board with that or what was the kind of, after you graduated high school, what was the next step for you? So I, um, I mean, I was pretty amenable to it Im immediately. <laughs> um, I, even in high school, I was, um, very interested in food and wine and so um, a big part of it with my family was that like gathering and coming together and sharing a meal and wine was always a part of that so it was really easy for me to to say like yeah this is a science degree I can get a Bachelor of Science in winemaking and focus on this um, yeah it sounded it, it was very appealing right off right off the bat mm -hmm. um, I struggled, I actually was telling someone recently, I matriculated at both UC Davis and Linfield, um, but there was no, I mean, there was no formal wine program at Linfield at the time, and I really wanted to be part of the Oregon wine industry. Um, and so I, it, there was an appeal, um, it appealed to me to go to school locally, and even if it wasn't a formal wine program as there is now, um, I thought, well, I could be around it. Many of my friends in the wine industry now went to Linfield, like almost absorb wine knowledge and experience by osmosis, or you know, just working harvests and just being in the community. So um, I very nearly went to Linfield, but ultimately I went to school at Davis, and um, and. Uh, yeah, I it made some great contacts and will, um, but I definitely didn't, I, there, it felt like a degree that was certainly more focused on warmer climate, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, grape growing, wine making. Um, so yeah, no regrets because I'm happy with where I, where I ended up, but I've occasionally wondered <laughs> what would have been different, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about you. Tell me about the Davis experience for you. Then, what, what what were your main takeaways from there, and what was the experience like in terms of the actual classroom and and, and school setting? Well, the biggest thing, actually, and this is more hindsight than um, well, takes my experience into consideration certainly. But um, I I did not get nearly as much out of that education as I would have could have if I had any degree of practical experience whatsoever before attending school. I mean, anyone that I've talked to about like, oh, I'm interested in, anyone who's interested in pursuing this career, I tell them to go work a harvest or two or three first um, because having that, uh, experience to which you can apply the theoretical, the, the theory that you learn in school, especially, I mean, Davis was, there was some, you know, were some practical elements to it, and there's a teaching winery. I was in the old teaching winery. There's a new, beautiful, high 
high tech and um, yeah, very nice teaching winery. I was in Wixen, the old, the old dirty uh, <laughs> <laughs> teaching winery, which was was cool to to actually get to like get to make wine there. Um, has that building had so much history and probably prepared me better for what a winery, most wineries <laughs> actually look like, um, at least at least in Oregon. Um, but um, yeah, I it was it was a lot of theory. I made made good connections. I um, I I mean I learned a lot. I would have I think a lot more would have stuck if I'd had you know, if I'd known what questions to ask or known what challenges arise in a vineyard or in a winery. Um, I mean, I also, because of my personality, I wanted to just like get finished with school and get to work. I was not great at like enjoying my college experience or like taking, like, I, something that I still regret, I took no soil science classes, which now I'm like, what was I thinking? But I just want to get done as quickly as possible. So I actually finished school in three years, um, like took summer classes, finished, finished school, got my degree and, and went to work. Um, and I, yeah. The things, the things that we do when we're young. <laughs> now, now that now that I work every day, I wish I'd taken taken the extra year or two that some people take. Well, um, it would be time to work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I somehow didn't know that when I was yeah, in my in my early twenties. Um, and I actually so. I finished in um, about three years. I took my last, I had one fall term left to finish up, um, and I took that term off to go and work a harvest. So I went and worked for Opus One. I had a friend who put me in touch with a contact, and so I took my fall term off, worked the, what year was that, 2007 vintage at Opus One, and then had a basically a growing season, so spring and summer before I had to go back to school to finish um, finish my last term. So I came up to Oregon for the growing season of 2008, worked for a vineyard management company. And then when I went back to school and finished my last term, um, I had one of the classes I had to take was a, um, was a wine lab, wine chemistry lab class. And I was hired back on at Opus One for as interim enologist that year. Their enologist left right before harvest, and I was hired to be interim enologist concurrently with my last class at Davis, which was a wine chemistry lab. So I was like, do it. I it was actually great because I was applying what I was learning in school at, in my day-to-day -day work, which was funny. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. Tell me about your first harvest. What was what was that like in 2007? Mm, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. I was super intimidated, um, and I was working at Opus One, which I, I mean, I told you how I found the wine community so down to earth. But then, like, approaching this you know big, beautiful, storied Napa winery and um, front of house, everybody you know was dressed up in suit and tie and. Um, I pretty quickly realized, recognized that the production staff was also down to earth, and it wasn't that the front of house staff wasn't as well. It was just you know the way they had to present mm -hmm. themselves. So um, I was super intimidated, but got got more comfortable pretty pretty quickly. Um, but 
Yeah, it was, I mean, it was great. I worked a chunk of the season in the vineyard and then a chunk of the season, um, you know, when the fruit started to come in, I worked in the winery. So I got, um, yeah, got a breadth of experience. Um, I actually was just talking to Michael Slatchy, the winemaker, who's still the winemaker there two days ago and realizing how long we've known one another. 2007 is a long time ago now. Um, but he was reminding me that it was probably three weeks into my internship and my car on my way to work. I was, so I was living in Sacramento and commuting to Napa, which also silly again, like I don't know what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> I was always very current on, like, up to date on current events, listen to a lot, of, a lot of news in the car. But on my way to work, like three, yeah, three weeks in, we were bottling. I had to be, at, I was supposed to be at work at 5 a.m. or something. So I'd left Sacramento at 3.30 and was supposed to be in Napa early. And my car died, my overheated car died uh, like halfway there. And so I, called said I wasn't going to be there on time. I went and I I got a rental car. AAA came. I went, I got a rental car and I got to work and I was like an hour and a half late, but um, but Michael remembered that and still tells that story because he was like, I don't know anyone who would have who would have done this whose car would die and you'd still make it to work. I'm like, I, I had to be here. We're bottling. So, um, that was uh, yeah, his first glimpse of, of my work ethic, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, it was it was a great a great experience. I mean, Michael's still a friend and mentor, and um, was a joy to work with. It was also a glimpse into the world of wineries that have the means to um, to do a lot of research and experimentation, and so um, I really enjoyed that. I mean, I worked there in 2007, but then I worked um, full-time at Opus One from 2008 until 2011, and, um, uh, and it was amazing to have the, the time and the resources to dedicate to research projects and, um, and trials and demos, and because, <clears throat> because of the high profile of the winery, I mean, vendors um, treat them very differently, and so it was. Um, it, I mean, it was nice to have access to mm -hmm. all of the newest technology. Um, Roger Bolton, who I think still has not retired, uh, professor at UC Davis. Um, he is also dear friends with Michael, and so he was around a lot consulting. And um, so, yeah, it just it felt like an additional whatever that was, eight, nine, 10, 11, four years of education, um, as well as practical experience. So it was, yeah, it was a good place to work. In addition to the, to the people, did you find, what, what did you find attractive about the work? What, what, what was it about the work that, that appealed to you? So, I mean, the, the research and the interest in furthering quality I mean, it was always how can we achieve quality in even in small increments. Mm -hmm. um, and I really, I, as enologist, I got to practice the 
scientific side of it, but there was a lot of creativity as well. I mean, it was really, it's where I developed my palette. I learned some of the, um, like the nuances of blending, um, because that wine is all about blending. And then I came to Oregon and was, uh, I mean, it was, it was new to me to be making wines where, you know, there was an emphasis on single vineyards and choosing the best lot and bottling an individual lot rather than blending to, um, yeah, blending the parts to, mm -hmm. to make the whole. So it was quite formative. Um, Michael also is a pretty sort of silly creative man, and so we did some work on um, like texture vocabulary and trying to uh, calibrate the vocabulary of the winemaking team so that we all were talking about the same thing and understanding one another's language. And so, um, like, I got to head up this project, which I mean, it was it wasn't a huge project, but it was like I went out and got all different like different makeups and skincare products that were different textures, and we sort of borrowed from some of the language <laughs> of that industry to um, to work to, and then also I bought a bunch of different fabric swatches and so we used um, we were pulling some other other vocabulary into uh, the wine lexicon which was which was it was fun it was um, it felt it felt creative it always felt super collaborative mm -hmm. um, and again like the resources there's a, a Frenchman named Alexander Alexandre Schmidt um, who is uh, better known as Linnae, so he's a Nay, which is the perfume industry title. Um, I mean, there's a training that they that they go through, and and so we this this guy Alexandre um, came to Napa. He's come to Oregon a couple of times. I tried to entice him when I when I first arrived here, um, and so he came and and put on a seminar when I was working at A to Z for a group, and then he came for the Oregon Wine Industry Symposium one year and spoke, but he um, I was able to work with him and on sort of some of his dilutions and going through um, aromatic molecules, and then we would have these, these staff trainings, olfactory staff trainings at, um, at the winery that were, um, yeah, they're just it's the the education piece and the focus on development and personal development mm -hmm. that um, I think part of it was also early career and not feeling pulled in as many directions and not having quite as much responsibility and it felt easier to focus on you know take four hours in the middle of a day and focus on just learning aromas mm -hmm. um, that becomes a little bit you know falls further and further out of out of reach um, as careers progress but uh, yeah it was it was it was a cool experience at, at what point did you start to have an idea of maybe what your future would be what what, what part of the industry you wanted to be and you mentioned Oregon as, as always the goal was was did you was winemaking always what you wanted to do or did that kind of come to you later yeah I think I mean that's still evolves and the um, I mentioned before the interview started I've been spending more time in the vineyard and so I think the the as time has gone on I have 
recognized, but a little bit more honest with myself about the lip service that some winemakers pay to the value and importance of the vineyard and spending time in the vineyard, um, and uh, have wanted to um, really invest more time in that part of the industry. So um, I feel like it's then and now, I mean, it's, it's I think that I am not the only one in the industry who struggles with this, um, like wanting to wanting to spend more time on the hands-on work and um, and then being pulled to a computer and email and so um, then I think I mean then I wanted to I wanted to be a winemaker that was sort of all what I wanted to do part of the reason that I didn't take any soil science classes didn't focus as much on um, on the vit part of the viticulture and enology degree that I that I do hold <laughs> um, and so I I knew I wanted to come back to Oregon because as much as I enjoyed the wines that we made um, at Opus One, I mean, part of the reason that I enjoyed those wines was that we tended to pick on the earlier side and I always preferred the cooler vintages in Napa. Um, I loved the 2005 vintage, which was maybe in Napa akin to our 2011 vintage, like a little bit panned by the press immediately and then you know has shown amazing mm -hmm. longevity and grace and elegance so um i always wanted to come back to oregon because i i like acid i like cool climate wines um uh, i knew that i didn't want to stay in the lab i was enologist there and i was again recognized that often women are shunted into the more lab-based positions. So um, I, um, yeah, I knew I wanted to come back to Oregon and then it actually, it made it, it was difficult to pull myself away from Opus One because of all the things that I described. But um, I also saw that it was really easy to get sucked into that world and um, learn and feel like there's, you know, one best way to do things, and um, and I wanted to wanted to see other other ways of doing things, um, and then it made my decision pretty easy because my dad was ill and not doing well. So um, coming back in 2011 was it was a combination of factors, um, but I mean it was sort of always always planned, always coming. Mm -hmm. um, so when you did decide to come back, what were you looking for in, in, in your kind of entree back into Oregon? And what, did, what was your first, what, what were you looking for and what did you find? I was looking for, I mean, even just the next step forward. I don't think that I quite knew exactly what I was looking for. I think that this is a challenge that even as we've hired, um, at Union have hired people from out of California. Um, I remember sort of the sticker shock of looking for jobs and realizing that I wasn't gonna be making in Oregon what I was making in California. Um, but then also recognized pretty quickly that um, the Oregon industry, there's a lot, at least then, I think that more jobs are posted now, but even, but then it felt like, and, and it's still somewhat the case, it helps to have connections, I mean, as with anything. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, um, 
But I also wanted to, working at Opus One, I had only made red wine, so I also wanted to make white wine. And I love Riesling. And so one of the first things I did was find some fruit to purchase um, so that I could make some wine. Um, so I bought some Riesling from Lazy River Vineyard in Yamhill Carlton, um, AVA, just sort of west of, west of Yamhill there, and, um, and made some wine at the Carlton Winemaker Studio. And um, and then I got an harvest internship, harvest enologist at um, Archery Summit, which was a really cool experience because that was when Anna Matzinger was still the winemaker and Lee Bartholomew was was responsible for vineyards and Kate Payne Brown was assistant winemaker. Um, so it was this badass contingent of Oregon wine industry women. Um, I met my. Um, like now one of my closest friends, Casey Merrill, working harvest there, who um, is one of the people I mentioned who went to Linfield and just, you know, stayed in wine country. And um, it was, so that was, that was cool to be surrounded by so many, so many women who were just killing it. Mm -hmm. um, and then, I, so I was working harvest, and then I was like at either end of my day driving out to Carlton and um, and, and babysitting my wine, which um, yeah. Now I think about like some of those long days and the, like how tired I was driving back and forth. Like that wasn't safe, but also I was younger than I am now, so it was easier to do. But um, but I also. Uh, yeah, it it was it was cool. So I ended up working at. at Archery Summit for the season and ended up working. Um, I was hired at A to Z the following January um, because of a connection I'd made at Archery Summit. Mm -hmm. Anna Matzinger and Michael Davies are married, and Michael hired me at A to Z. So it was, I mean, as these things go, it was, um, yeah, it, it worked out, worked out well. Mm -hmm. But I mean, in two, it was 2011, and I definitely, as I was making the decision to harvest my Riesling on November 8th. I, was, <laughs> I remember thinking, like, I don't know if I made the right decision coming back to Oregon. This is, this is a, it, I mean, it was a challenging growing season, but, um, but now I taste the 2011s, and um, it's, it's a great vintage to come back to Oregon. Just didn't feel that way at the time. It was just, yeah, it was challenging <laughs> at, the, at the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So tell me about your work at, at A to Z and and, and kind of again your your impressions of it. It's, it's it's such a it's such a different place in Oregon wine. What were you doing there, and what 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 was it like at A to Z at that point? Um, so I was hired as enologist and um, and was. Uh, I was hired as enologist. The assistant winemaker, Blair Trathan left to, to become winemaker at Shea. Four months into my time at A to Z, and um, because I'm generally the person who like sees what needs to be done and I do it, I, like, he was leaving, I started writing work orders and sort of quickly fell into the assistant winemaking role, um, which was, I mean, it was cool. It was, it was great and it felt very natural and it was a uh, um, yeah a to z was was fun i uh, 
it was fun to see the sort of two facets of the of the business, A to Z and Rex Hill, and then learn a lot about the um, about the business and to recognize that you know one brand can pay the bills, so the other brand can you know make make the kind of wine that a lot of us want to make. But it was also really cool to make wine uh, that my friends and family could that was accessible to mm -hmm. friends and family. And that is the biggest difference that I remember coming from Opus One and even Archery Summit, I mean, more um, more within reach than some Napa cabs, but still not inexpensive, whereas A to Z as a value brand, um, it was it was cool to be able to talk to friends and family who were not in the wine industry, which, um, not all of us in the wine industry do a good job of this, but I retain a lot of friends who are not in the wine industry. So, um, so for um, yeah, to be able to to share share that with them was was really cool. Um, and A to Z was it was a great place to work. It was a, a fun company, um, a lot of personalities at play, um, which uh, I Amy. Frozen Jack was a model and was a, a mentor, and um, so seeing her and some of her sort of um, uh, the way that she uh, like moderated meetings was um, was something that really clicked with me, and I I value I still think think about her and the way that she. Um, the way that she manages groups of people and constructive sort of collaborative guidance um, so that was cool um, it was it was really fun to work with Michael after having worked with Anna uh, <laughs> uh, there and then yeah of course like Sam and Cheryl and Bill and Deb it was it was a lot of personalities and it was interesting to be sort of thrown into it um, as I mean, Ryan Collins was there at the time as um, as viticulturist, and so like, but he'd been there for a little while. So it was an interesting um, dynamic to step into, but all really, really cool people, and um, yeah, it was it was fun to see the evolution of that that facility as well. It, I mean, I credit my comfort with. Marginally controlled chaos <laughs> to A to Z, which is sort of similar similar paradigm here at Union. I mean, when I started there, there were a couple of big tanks, and while I was there, and there, wait, there were, gosh, I don't even remember how many new BTs blending tanks were were installed. There was. Um, at least one new building, two new buildings that were that were built out while I was there. So it was fun to um, see Cheryl managing all of the construction and um, and responsible for all the capital piece of it. Um, Anna Welch Prost, who's now, um, gosh, I think she's white winemaker. That may still be her title. And then her husband Olivier is red winemaker. So it's, it's a lot of. Yeah, a lot of personalities, but a, really a great, great place to work. Um, yeah. So what came next for you? Um, let's see. Well, I 
was there 2011 until I left in 2015. Um, I uh, actually I got a divorce in 2014. Um, I got married when I was 25, um, which I is part of the reason that I never traveled or worked abroad right when I finished school, and which. I mean, is ironic because it's part of the reason that I wanted, I mean, I didn't mention this before, but part of the reason that I, that so many people, I think, want to study wine is the opportunity to travel and um, work abroad and gain experience abroad. <laughs> Naughty. Um, and so I sort of, I got divorced in 2014 and my dad had passed away in 2011 and sort of both of those things. Um, caused me to reevaluate a little bit. And um, as much as I loved working for A to Z, I also was doing a lot more winemaking from in front of a computer and um, wanted to get back to making physically making wine, but also wanted to take the opportunity to travel. So I, um, yeah, so I left in August of 2015. Um, I give them give them more notice than that. No one, no no one should leave a winemaking role uh, in August without plenty of notice. Um, so I left and um, and set set out to do some harvest hopping. Mm -hmm. So I turned I turned thirty working harvest in Bordeaux. Um, I so badly wanted to work harvest in Italy, but um, as an older person, I mean, not that 30 is old, but older than um, most countries will give like a, a easily give a visa. Mm -hmm. um, so I used a, an old Napa connection to go work in Bordeaux and worked, um, uh, worked the 2015 harvest there. Um, and then from there I went to Tasmania and worked harvest. Um, at Bay of Fires, and um, I was sort of, again, 30 is not old, but I still was kind of harvest mom, like <laughs> everywhere that I went, because I was working with a bunch of you know, recent graduates or young people who hadn't gone to school yet who were still trying to figure out what they wanted to do. So um, I was often the person who was like, here's your glass of water and your Advil for when you wake up in the morning. But, um, uh, but it was, it was, it was good. I made some, yeah, made some really good, good friends. Um, so I went to, let's see, Bordeaux, I went to Tasmania. I, um, went and spent, uh, couple of months diving and getting a dive master certification in Thailand. And then I had planned actually to go and do a coffee harvest in Hawaii um, with a family friend because there's sort of an enzymatic fermentation step in coffee that um, that is, well, that appealed to me as someone interested in fermentation. Um, but Michael at Opus One asked me to come back. He had someone leaving. He asked me to come fill in for a season. So. Um, I, I did that, um, which was, it was great. Michael's, again, mentor, friend. It was fun to go back and spend another season there. Um, and then I went and worked a harvest in New Zealand. So spent a couple years harvest hopping and traveling and um, remembered, remembered why I love winemaking because when I, you know, when I finally left A to Z, I was I was wondering if it was something that I wanted to continue to do. I thought, 
if I'm going to spend all my time sitting in front of a computer, I could be making a hell of a lot more money doing something different. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I was glad to have taken, taken the break, but then pretty quickly also wanted more responsibility and wanted to be able to you know, see a wine through from start to finish and, and spend more time in the vineyard. And um, so I came, came back to the States, um, worked the 2017 vintage at Screaming Eagle, um, and was hired full time there as enologist. Um, and it was, that was the year that there were the fires. Um, yeah, it was a strange, it was a strange season. Um, uh, and it was, I, I also pretty quickly realized that I wanted to be back in Oregon, that Napa, while um, there are a lot of really cool things about it, was not, uh, not, not exactly where I wanted to be or the kind of wine I wanted to be making. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, my friend Cheney the Dream, who's now my co-winemaker at Union, um, he came to visit when I was living in Yachtville, and I was telling him that I was wanting to maybe come back to Oregon, and he convinced me to come and work a harvest winemaking job at, at Union. Um, so I came back up here in July of 2018 and have been at Union ever since. Never left. Never left. Yeah, they sucked me in. Well, before I talk about Union, I'm, I'm curious. It's a you mentioned kind of an interesting timing for, for, the, for the abroad travel, for the harvest hopping, mm -hmm. not usually doing that after you've already kind of had a career. So yeah. I'm curious for you, you mentioned it kind of like re-sparking for you. What, 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 what did re-spark in you in terms of like what, what, did re, what, what, was, what were you reminded of about what you loved about wine? And what were some of the kind of memorable experiences for you in those couple of years while you were abroad? Yeah, for sure. Well, so, um, and actually something that, before I answer that, question. I um, I also, having worked abroad as someone with more experience, I learned entirely different things than I would have learned if I had uh, worked abroad when I was, you know, 22. Um, so I think I, while I learned some different winemaking practices, ideas, I learned and paid a lot more attention to um, Things like management style and uh, and the way that that staffing was mm -hmm. was laid out at different wineries and um, and you know how how interns were treated at different places and what was valuable to interns um, and as part of that experience and so I think it allowed me to come back with a with a really a cool perspective and and to yeah take away some some things that I wouldn't have if I had traveled when I was younger but and and actually I mean those connections and the people and the excitement around wine and just like all of the being an intern all of the communal meals and sharing and discussing wine at the table and um, debates <laughs> over <laughs> over quality and preferences and it, I mean that was 
even more than the actual work, it was the like living, communal living, and um, and the relationship piece of it that that was that I came away feeling most motivated by. Because I think I I was looking back at some notes from a steamboat conference a couple years ago. Um, certainly not last year, um, and looking at some notes, and I had written at the bottom of my page of notes, I should be doing something more meaningful with my life. <laughs> and I have that thought every so often, but then I also remember like where I do derive meaning, and so I also like being able to say it's just wine, and at the end of the day, like nobody's, you know, we're, we're not saving lives here, it's, it's just wine, so no need to be totally stressed out about it, even though sometimes that's hard to remember. But um, but like there is meaning in what we do in the connections that we form and the piece of what we do that is bringing people together and memory and so um gosh i'm like talking about my travels and thinking about them and starting to tear up a little bit that was weird um, uh, but yeah so the, i mean the most memorable parts of that are like going on like Going on adventures with the with the other other interns and harvest staff. Um, when on when I was working in Tasmania, going on a trip with um, the the house to our entire crew to Bay of Fires and everybody you know camping and hiking and um, uh, that was another fun one where. I, I clearly don't mind being the like the only woman in a group. It was me and seven seven guys, so I was well and truly harvest mom. Um, but there was when we first started, there was a um, a dead possum. Which one do we have? Possums or opossums? There's one that we have, and then there's the one that they have in Australia. And it was I mean the thing was giant and was dead behind a tank, and it smelled terrible um the doors had been left open and all the guys were like oh i'm gonna go and like trying to find a shovel to move it and i just went and like got some rubber gloves and picked it up and took it outside so i have this great picture of me holding a <laughs> giant dead animal so gross but like one of my fondest memories because it was i mean it was hilarious and very memorable um but yeah yeah, I mean, it's hard to like identify some specific. I mean, in Bordeaux, going mushroom hunting with with other interns, um, things that, yeah, more the the connection to people than even anything specific to the wine itself. Mm -hmm. I mean, it didn't didn't hurt to walk away at the end of the day feeling like I'd been paid to work out, and uh, I look back at pictures of myself and like. Like I was ripped. That was, that was awesome. <laughs> I would love to do more of that. <laughs> but yeah, the the best part of it was for sure the the people. So at, at this point, you you've you've had a lot of different wine experiences, a lot of different places, and you've you've come across a lot of different people. You you mentioned kind of one thing you were watching for was like management style and and, and that kind of thing. I'm curious about sort of the winemaking part of things, and and if you had what your winemaking philosophy as it was developing, what, what it would look like, and, and how these experiences played into what kind of what your eventual winemaking philosophy would be. So I sort of learned that there is a place for everything. Like it allowed me to recognize and understand 
that um, that there are situations where it's best to be hands off, and there are situations where you need to be more involved and more hands on, and need to make a wine a little bit more, um, and it allowed me to. develop a sense of where each of those is appropriate and to really take a step back and look at the goal of you know where a specific lot of fruit is going to go or when evaluating a lot of wine and or blending to separate myself from personal preference and recognize what the intention of a given wine is, um, which I've found incredibly valuable at Union because Union is this umbrella that sits over multiple brands. Um, and so while I might prefer one thing, the consumer of a specific wine might prefer another. And so being able to put myself in that headspace as I'm tasting and to discuss um, you know, with the, with the winemaking team and be able to bring, you know, bring that back into focus and think about a specific style rather than just, I think it's, it's really easy to say like, oh no, I, I don't like this and I, I prefer this. Um, but, um, it's more it's a more challenging mental exercise to to make decisions based on um, what the final final goal is and final what the what the purpose is. So um, being able to see all of these different um, yeah to work in some very different places and and see it's made me realize how important it is to define that intention and define that goal as well mm -hmm. because that um, without those explicitly defined it makes it impossible to mm -hmm. take the step back that is necessary and um, and make wine making decisions based on based on that rather than personal preference so you mentioned you started here at union a uh, harvest internship uh, tell me about Initial initial impressions and initial work here, and, and sort of the progression for you uh, in your career once you got here. Sure. Um, so I was Harvest Winemaker, which meant that I was running the swing shift, um, and I pretty quickly felt very comfortable in what I described as marginally controlled chaos. Um, I mean, that's maybe not fair. It's, it's better controlled chaos than I give it credit for. But um, uh, it pretty quickly felt felt very comfortable because of the experience I'd had at A to Z and at another winery that was in the middle of you know major growth mm -hmm. phase. Um, and um, I was working for well, my friend. Cheney mm -hmm. enticed me to join, but JP Caldclue was our director of winemaking, and so um, working for him was I also was very comfortable because he was a very hands-off manager, and I am happy to be autonomous and just get shit done. So um, I, yeah, I pretty quickly felt comfortable with 
doing my part to help keep things organized and overseeing a crew. Um, and I had learned also from my time working abroad as someone with experience in the industry how to lead by example and lead from sort of behind or laterally um, because I, as an intern abroad, I wasn't ever in a position to say, you know, to be, I, I wasn't in a position of power, but I also had more experience than most of the people that I was working with. And so I found a way to um, manage people without explicitly managing them, which was, um, which I think is a, like, so we could all still use some work in that, but I think it's a valuable, uh, valuable skill to have. And so it made, um, I think it made my initial job at Union pretty easy, but then not easy. Nothing, I mean, nothing about that harvest was easy, but, um, but it made it an easy transition at least. Mm -hmm. um, but then also I think has, um, has, played into uh, my progression at the company. So I was hired as Harvest winemaker. And then actually, I um, at the end of Harvest, they didn't, you know, didn't need another winemaker. But um, the packaging facility where we are now was um, in its sort of nascent stages. And um, the and so Union needed a, a packaging facility manager, basically. Um, and JP sort of couched it in such a way that I could be involved in winemaking as well. <laughs> so my title is production winemaker, but it actually meant that I managed the packaging facility for two years, um, which was, it was not necessarily what I was looking for, but it was, it was amazing experience. I learned so much about bottling, and, well, bottling less so because we were still using a mobile line at the time. We now have our own filler in place, but about canning. Um, I mean, we, Union started putting wine in a can in 2013 um, with like a small run for Feast Portland. Mm -hmm. um, actually, funny side note about that, um, the, the one that was actually wine that was canned uh, in an illegally sized format because most most cans are a 12 ounce can um, and until very recently until just a couple months ago um, uh, well till the end of 2020 um, we could only put wine in specifically defined formats and so um, the union union's first production run was wine in a 12 ounce can which i always think is funny but it was it was a teeny tiny production but um but yeah i was here for two years getting the getting the packaging line up and running um and staffing the facility and putting some systems in place but also learning more than i ever thought that i would learn about uh canning wine and all the all the equipment that goes along with it um and yeah, I think most, a lot of winemakers don't love packaging season or bottling season because it, I mean, it's stressful and there are a lot of moving parts and, um, and I'm glad to have done this if, I mean, at the very least, if it means that I don't need to ever be stressed out about packaging again <laughs> because it was my every day for two years. So um, yeah, and then, yeah, so I was here for two years, but I wasn't necessarily, I mean, it was great and I learned a ton. I 
and I'm very happy that I was given the opportunity to do it. I was also probably not necessarily the best choice for union because I was a winemaker. I was not someone who had any background in packaging. Um, but we got through and we got it up and running. We now have a wonderful packaging manager um, who also, his background is more in uh, winemaking than packaging, but he also installed elevators for a long time, which amazingly actually also <laughs> has some, an applic applicable skill set to the packaging line. Um, and then, yeah, JP left in December to move to Panama. He and his wife bought a four-bedroom inn and moved to Panama in December, which not jealous at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, with his departure, Cheney and I were, were promoted to winemaker. And as part of that, um, I'm overseeing our growers. Um, but then we also are in the process of set to close any day now on um, a vineyard out in Sheridan. Um, and we own Amity, which um, all of our least owned vineyards to this point have been farmed by vineyard management companies. With this new property, we are farming ourselves. So we're building a vineyard department. And um, so that's, that's the new challenge that, um, that I get to be responsible for. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's a good evolution. You've seen it all at this point. You've, you've been in every part of this. I mean, I feel like there, like there's, there's certainly, there's always more. But I'm like, I want to understand every, every facet of this industry, which um, there's no, there's no possible way. But <laughs> uh, yeah. You made a pretty good start on that, I think, yeah, at this point. Working on it. <laughs> you, you mentioned, you mentioned Can Wine, obviously something that Union is, is very well known for. Tell me about the evolution of the, of the Can Wine program and, and about sort of the the reaction to, to, the, to the canned wine program from, from consumers and from the, other, from the rest of the industry? Yeah, I wish that I had more direct knowledge of some of the early years. I mean, I know that it was a, a challenge. I mean, it's, I've, I've only been here since 2018, and 2013 was the first year that we sort of did this a little bit. Um, uh, but I mean, some of the early challenges were just sourcing packaging materials. As I mentioned, the standard can is 12 ounces, and we need a 375 milliliter can um, or a 250 milliliter can. But um, so initially, we were sourcing materials from internationally, mm -hmm. um, which which was a challenge, and also not something that we wanted to do sustainability-wise. I mean, one of the things that has that appeals to me about wine in a can. Um, and one of the things that we've only sort of really started to talk about as a company, even though it's always been a driving factor, is the sustainability aspect. Um, I mean, we can fit almost twice as much wine in a can on a truckload going from the west coast to the east coast as we can in a bottle mm -hmm. um, because of both you know, footprint and weight. Uh, aluminum is much more easily recyclable than glass. Um, and it's, I mean, it's, this is a company that is based in Oregon, and a lot of people like to spend time outdoors. And so it's, you know, it's great to take canned wine backpacking and to the beach, and it's great for venues where you don't, where they don't allow glass. So I mean, lots and lots of um, upside, but certainly, uh, I know that it was and has been. Um, I mean, it's there's 
the level of acceptance now that only continues to increase. I mean, even from the time I started two years ago to, well, has it been almost three years now, to now, the number of people that I hear say, oh, it's not bad for wine in a can, like that, that or it's good for wine in a can. I don't hear that appended to the end of that sentence quite as much. Um, so that's good. Um, and I mean, the industry has clearly embraced it and is moving in that direction, which, um, which it's good to see. I mean, as consumer acceptance increases and the industry gets on board, we're seeing, yeah, we're seeing more competition in the market, which um, is, you know, it's it's competition, but it's it's good competition. It's good that, um, for a lot of reasons, that, that include the sustainability facet included, that the industry is um, more open to it. So, um, yeah, it's. And, and then, I mean, it started small for Feast. We were making, um, we were, were packaging the wine in California um, at a co-packer down there. And um, first of all, transporting the wine down there and not being able to, we, we, we would send someone down. This all sort of ended right around the time that I started because we had our own canning line and we were able to bring it in-house, but we would have to send someone down to the co-packer to you know, keep an eye on things and check final chemistry and all of that before it went to, went to package. Um, and now we're, while we're still transporting the wine from the winery, it's only two and a half miles rather than all the way to the Central Valley in California. Um, so that has both, I mean, it has made sense in a, in a lot of ways, but it also has fortunately coincided with sort of a boom or now we're certainly producing more wine in can than in bottle. Um, the bubbles and rosé bubbles have like blown up over the last year, which um, is a good problem to have, but we're, we're trying to keep up. <laughs> so with your, with your new role, you mentioned they kind of overseeing um, sort of the vineyard side and, 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 your, and the new side. So tell me about how you see your new role unfolding with the, with the new property you're, you're buying and, and the kind of upcoming, how you see a new role unfolding over the next few years? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would like to be able to dedicate more time than we have historically had to dedicate in the past to those relationships with our growers, but then also in developing our own, our own property, um, the property that we are in, that we're purchasing um, is, is there's some existing acreage, but there's some development as well. Um, and so I, some of the like longer term fruit sourcing and maintaining these relationships, that's all gonna take, all gonna take work. Um, we've also are shifting some of um, a lot of what we're doing to more sustain, more focus on sustainability. So I am, you know, this is more the computer part than actually being out in the vineyard, but um, but sort of revising some of our contracts with growers in ways that you know that work for them, but that are also um, also entail some environmental and social responsibility, um, and. Yeah, I, being 
in a position of responsibility for the, the fruit supply, which is really the foundation of all that we do here um, is a huge amount of responsibility um, and also requires a lot of um, capacity and demand planning at the winery. So um, I'm, when I was at the packaging facility, um, it was a lot of getting through, getting over day-to-day -day hurdles and now it's a lot more like looking out and planning three, five, seven years into the future. Certainly not alone, but working with Cheney and working with uh, Ryan and Eric, the Harms brothers, and um, our sales team, and just like looking out a little bit, well, a lot further. I mean, one of the cool things about the wine industry, but also occasionally frustrating things, is that it is such a long cycle. And so looking at developing, um, planting, more more vines and and looking at what that means for the future of the company and where you know where and when those vineyards will come online is um, it's uh, it's a fun puzzle <laughs> so I want to talk for a second about 2020 which I know is a, a topic every winemaker loves talking about because oh, yeah. 2020 was so much fun for all of us so <laughs> I want to start with 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 COVID and, and sort of its its impacts on on your work and on, on the work here and and sort of from what your perspective what you saw how you saw it impact the industry yeah 2020 um the <laughs> uh, 2020 was sort of it was a strange um there was it was a little bit of a fine line between like I don't feel like we're essential workers. Like even in spite of the fact that like as winemakers, as production workers, we've classified as essential workers because we're making a food product. And I've heard many people say, oh, for sure, wine was like your essential workers. This was essential during the pandemic. Also have had many conversations where, you know, we're all sort of saying we're like, what we're doing is not essential. So, and not from the standpoint of like, we don't need to be here, but also sort of like, how can we make sure that we're keeping everybody as safe as possible? Um, but then also, thank goodness we're classified as essential workers because we feel very fortunate to have, you know, kept a job and I actually even been busier than ever. I mean, at Union, we were also, are also very fortunate in that so much of our business is off-premise compared with on-premise. Um, so it, 2020 was not, you know, was kinder to us than, than to many of our friends in the industry. Um, and so we, we saw business boom. I mean, we, like I said, we're just trying to keep up with um, the demand for the canned wines in particular, but many of our, most of our wines. Um, we shut down in, um, yeah, the end of March last year for about a month. We were fortunately in a really good inventory position and position at the winery. So we were able to close and take, take about a month off, even the production staff. Um, uh, the company continued to pay all of the staff through that time, which was amazing that, you know, that we were in a position of financial health to be able to do that. Um, and also I think speaks to the ethics of this company. Um, and 
yeah, so we took the month off to sort of reevaluate and work out some procedures and um, put safety measures in place and gather the appropriate PPE, which those of us in the wine industry have always sort of been familiar with PPE, and now the entire world knows what personal protective equipment is, um, thanks to the pandemic. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was certainly scary coming back to work. We were training some new people, and a lot of what we do requires some, you know, we were trying to figure out how we, how we do our job. Um, spaced out, and we we got there, and um, and you know everyone's made it through safely. But it was certainly scary. Um, but also, I think most of the staff recognized that sort of line that I talked about. The we're not really essential, but thank goodness I have a job. So um, so at packaging, it was it was there was that, and in the cellar. Um, much the same. I mean, it was a little bit easier. Well, I won't say easy. I mean, in the cellar, the biggest stress and challenges were around harvest. And um, Joanna Engel, who's now our assistant winemaker and who was our enologist through 2020, um, and then our assistant winemaker, Caitlin O'Brien, both spent countless hours and um, amounts of energy preparing for harvest and leading the charge on that and outlining um, best practices and moving us to paperless as much as possible. And um, we scheduled so that we, because we run 24 hours during harvest, so um, we typically run three eight-hour shifts. Last year, we just ran two shifts and had an hour between for sanitation and wipe down. Um, we had people working on different, in different areas of the winery so that we were able to create sort of pods. Um, and, um, and, and then of course there was the, were the fires and the smoke. And so we, I mean, we closed the winery and stopped picking for a couple of days with just, you know, some minimal staff coming in to check on things. But, um, Gosh, I mean, I talked about 2017 in Napa. I thought I was leaving all of that behind me. It was, um, yeah, scary to, certainly scary to everyone to see it, see it up here as well. And many of our growers, and um, we work with Northwest Distribution Services, truck drivers, people who were evacuated and lost, you know, lost homes. Everyone, again, fortunately, was safe um, but uh, one of our growers I mean you can see you can see the where the forest is charred from his property it's um, yeah it was it was scary and and it was also though again one of the nice things about being a larger winery who has we purchased fruit from all over the state um, for the Underwood brand and so we've we fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, have experience with smoke-affected fruit um, from years past in Southern Oregon. Mm -hmm. So um, we were, again, in a better position than many because we had experience with it and we had some protocols outlined um, within the winery of how to address, address that fruit um, and some remediation. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also, because it was there was also the the extremely low yield 
problems that we can had to contend with in 2020. Um, we also, where many wineries dropped fruit contracts, we were in a position to be able to support growers and um, pick up some of those some of some of those contracts, and and we got some fruit from a couple of growers who otherwise would have been mm -hmm. would have been out of luck. So, um, you know, at the very least, we we were. We, we didn't, you know, not, we weren't trying to scalp anybody, but it was, it, it, we had a couple of growers come to us and say, you know, I had this fruit, this contract dropped, and do you have a home for it? So we were able to, able to purchase some, some additional fruit and um, make, make wine out of it. So it was a tough year for everyone, but on, for, many of those reasons and because of the scale of what we do and because of our position in the market, it um, made it, again, perhaps less painful for us than many, even though probably wouldn't have said that in the moment. <laughs> um, I mean, also, I mean, we've talked about sort of blessing in disguise the, um, the low yields of 2020 as well because um, a lot of wineries were not in a position to be Purchasing additional additional tonnage um, because of the pandemic, and it you know it'll be a short vintage. We'll move through it quickly, um, and um, so with some of the <clears throat> smoke effect and, and remediation that um, a lot of wineries of our scale have had to had to put into their winemaking. Um, yeah, at least it'll be a short vintage, and hopefully we can put 2020 behind us quickly. <laughs> In every way. In mm -hmm. every way. Yeah. 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 So tell me about the, the, the changes you've seen in the Oregon wine industry from your time, your first impressions of it, and then first impressions of it when you worked here to now. What, what's changed, and what does the industry look like now compared to maybe when you first were aware of it? Uh, well, there are a lot more wineries now than there were when I was first aware of it. I mean, there are still, like, I am often amazed. There are brands that, Oregon brands now that I, you know, I'll see bottles out there and I'm like, I don't, I don't recognize it. There, there are more, more brands, more wines being made in this state than I can keep track of, um, which, uh, I mean, is, Good for yeah, good for the good for the industry that there's interest in Oregon wine. Sometimes it feels like the toothpaste style, though, like just more options than than anyone can possibly um, choose from. But um, but I think that's cool. Uh, recently, it feels like there's been more interest in um, other varieties than you know the typical Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris, um, and even Chardonnay. I mean. It's it's been nice to see some of the growth of Chardonnay in the Oregon industry, but um, but yeah, I've enjoyed seeing some of the alternative varieties. Um, I've been always a big fan of John Paul at Cameron and uh, his commitment to growing Nebbiolo in the Willamette Valley. He's the only person who doesn't think I'm crazy for wanting to do the same. But Cliven's uh, going in the right direction for it, I guess, and he's made some really cool uh, varietally distinct um, Nebbiolo from, from his property. So um, 
that's cool. Um, and then some of the you know wines coming out of Southern Oregon, there are some really amazing and great quality wines coming out of the, the Southern Oregon Appalachians. So um, I was just down there on Thursday and Friday visiting vineyards and um, got to meet some some um, some really cool women. There was a sort of a, a, a women in wine networking event. Um, and there are some, yeah, some really cool stories and, and, and great wines coming out of, out of that part of the state. So that's been interesting to see develop. Um, and then, so speaking of women in wine, so I'm also president of Women in Wine Oregon, which is a, um, uh, an industry organization nonprofit that was formed um, in 2019, the first, and, and for the last, last two years, it's been focused around just one annual event um, in July. Uh, Willamette Valley Vineyards hosted the, first, hosted the first event in person, and then last year, we pretty quickly pivoted to a virtual, as so many people did. <laughs> um, but um, this year, we've, we're sort of have been expanding programming with some community engagement uh, work. And so this event in Southern Oregon was the first of those and um, came off really well. And then um, we just launched uh, ticket sales for the 2021 event, which is going to be virtual again. But um, we're working on building out a formal mentorship program. Um, and. Um, uh, it has been really cool to see um, the evolution of the industry in terms of diversity. I mean, we, as we know from many conversations over the last year and lots of those uncomfortable conversations about how much further we have to go, but I think as an industry in Oregon, there. Um, there has been some movement on that front, at least since I've been here. I mean, just looking at the Women in Wine board when I began, Amy Prozenjack is no longer on the board, but she was on the board when I started. Um, and she's how I ended up president. I think she volunteered me. Um, and uh, But we have had women on the board who were heading up um, wineries, some of the largest winer, you know, in key positions in some of the largest wineries in the state. Um, you know, Amy Prozenjack, Brianna Seeley, we talked about she was at Adelsheim and now is at Argyle. Um, Christine Clare at Willamette Valley Vineyards. Um, Allison Sokolblosser. So some, yeah, a lot of, a lot more um, visibility, certainly from, a, you know, from a gender representation standpoint. Um, and I think, Oregon is, yeah, continues continues to, I continue to see a, a focus there, which is is great, and especially after after the last year and sort of this confrontation with um, or like recognition and racial reckoning, um, we we need to do better. Um, it's been really cool to see Ivoy. Uh, get established and um, start to start to take take hold. I've seen. Um, I think there's a lot more familiarity within the industry of um, with that organization. I mean, they've they've gained a fair bit of press and um, and are doing 
I mean, their mission is, is really cool. So, uh, and it sounds like they're trying to, working to expand programming outside of um, just the vineyard for the Hispanic and Latinx community. Um, because there, I mean, there are a couple of staff at Union that I'm like, I would love to get involved in a program, but they're not vineyard-based. So, um, yeah, there's it's the industry is changing, and I think I think mostly in a in a positive direction. You mentioned kind of throughout the interview, kind of being being a woman in a man's world a little bit uh, with with your education and with with the places you've worked. A lot of times, being the only woman or. or um, I'm curious in your experiences, um, in, 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 in what ways is it getting better uh, being a woman in your role? Uh, in what way, and what, what are the what are the biggest challenges still to overcome? From your perspective. Yeah, sure. This <laughs> is a big question. Um, so, I mean, it's getting better in that there is just more. I, I, as with any facet, I mean, any um, need for diversity, seeing someone who looks like you in a role that you aspire to is um, is like really the first the first step in in understanding and feeling like it is possible to get there yourself. <laughs> um, I mean, one of the reasons that like it's so powerful to see Kamala Harris in the White House, right? Like being able to see um, see that it's possible. And so uh, seeing just seeing more women in positions of, you know, in leadership positions within the industry is huge and makes it a lot easier. And seeing those women as Mentors. I mean, I talked about the formal mentorship program that we're working on with Women in Wine, but all of the informal mentorship that goes on within this industry because, I mean, going back to the connections piece of what we do, I think it, as an industry that is so focused on personal connection, there has been a lot of, I mean, there have been a lot of women in this industry who have put concerted effort into mentoring and developing and supporting other women in the industry. So um, that is... That is huge. Um, but then also seeing men in the industry who are taking that step forward and, um, and who are in, you know, in this, I've heard many times like, I want to help. I don't know how. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get in the way. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Like, we all have to get comfortable with being more, like, get more comfortable with being uncomfortable. It has to be okay to say the wrong thing and then learn that it was the wrong thing and continue to try to support in whatever way that, um, that we can. So um, it's been, yeah, cool to have, be able to have some of, and it has become easier to have those conversations with um, both women and men in the industry. Um, I mean, in ways that it's still a challenge. Uh, running the packaging facility, I saw it very, I mean, very regularly with um, with some of our suppliers and just some of the assumptions that are made. And um, and I mean, I've talked a lot about how much I've enjoyed many of the companies I've worked for, but working one of the things I enjoy about working for this company is I've had these conversations with Ryan where. He is of the same mind that 
I am that we don't have to work with people we don't enjoy working with. I mean, it's great to hear an owner say that because I think for a lot of people that's the benefit of having your own company is you don't have to work with people you don't like. Um, but uh, uh, it has been nice to have that support here just in terms of you know relationships with vendors and, um, mm -hmm. and that piece of it. I think challenges that still exist include, I mean, are not necessary, are not industry specific. I mean, they include things like childcare and parental leave. I mean, again, union, I'm like, sounds like a union wine company commercial, but, um, but union provides parental leave, three months of parental leave for either parent. So to be able to, we've just had a seller hand leave because his wife had a baby and he's going to be gone for three months. One of our packaging facility, um, shift leads is is going to be out for for three months around harvest time because his his uh, partner is is having a baby so um, being able to provide some of you know some of those um, resources um, but then also I mean in promotion and hiring and the way that we either lobby for ourselves or don't um, I mean women still often are promoted based on uh, their accomplishments, whereas men tend to be promoted based on their, uh, based on, um, gosh, the word is eluding me, but based on their, their abilities and based on, based on their, their potential. Um, and so um, I think that some of those things are just greater shifts in the way that everyone, you know, we all need to, to approach the way that we do business and the way that the way that we manage and the way that we lead, um, uh, and just continuing to talk about it. I mean, it the like the Women in Wine conference. My biggest piece of constructive criticism from the time I attended as an attendee in 2019 and to now um, having some of these conversations about the messaging and how we uh, message that it is an event for both men and women because if we're going to continue to make strides we need support from the you know the men in this industry as well mm -hmm. so um, yeah I think a lot has improved and I think that there's still a long way to go but um, yeah being 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 more comfortable being uncomfortable has been I mean we were talking more about 2020 but even in working in a more male dominated industry that is something that um, it's a muscle that I've been working on <laughs> for sure mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. So you talked a little bit about kind of your, your the future for your role here. I'm curious as you look ahead for yourself beyond that. What else do you what else do you see? What else are you looking forward to? What else are you hoping for as you look ahead? Is there more Riesling in the future coming up from oh your brand, gosh. or what, what's going on? What's happening next? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, it is. I mean, because I like to throw myself into work. I don't always make time for, it's, it's harder to make time for like a personal project. Cheney and I both have had, you know, personal projects on the side and have uh, allowed them to, to expire um, <laughs> because it's so easy to get pulled into the day job. But I don't know, maybe, um, I would love to grow Nebbiolo in the Willamette Valley doing 
that would be really cool. Um, but I also, like, I love to make wine. I don't love to sell wine, but um, my significant other is in wine sales. So hey, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe at some point. But um, now my mom is moving to Italy at the end of the summer. Um, because she's obtained her citizenship and I'm applying for my citizenship. So maybe maybe one day down the road, some, I mean, at the very least, a harvest in Italy. I mentioned when I was talking about traveling abroad. I uh, love Oregon wine, but still drink probably more Italian wine at home than Oregon wine. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I am very comfortable with like ambiguity, <laughs> and so I, that's been one of the fun things about this job is that there is never a dull moment, and there's always a surprise. And um, as much as we plan, things come up. So, um, I mean, it's it, there's a lot more to work through at the packaging facility. There's a lot of capacity and fruit resource planning to do, but. Um, but there's also like there, there's also always, always something something new around the corner. Mm -hmm. So I don't I don't know what that is yet, but um, but I'm looking forward to finding out what it is. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean I occasionally think about wanting my own vineyard because being able to be in a position of like involvement from really truly from beginning to end, planting to bottling and selling is it feels like occasionally feels like the I mean it certainly feels like the most honest way to do what we do as a craft rather than as just a job and so that is appealing but also I mean I know and see and experience how much work goes into every step of that process and so um, that is maybe the sort of idyllic future, but it's certainly not something that feels within reach um, with, a, with a job as, as big as the one that I feel like I have laid out before me right now. <laughs> so maybe one day, but I've got plenty of career left, so. <laughs> all right, was all the questions that I have for you. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we, we didn't cover here today that we should have covered? Mm, that's a great question. Open mic. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, man. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can't. I, we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> we did. All good. We did. Yeah. Well, excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your yeah. time, thank for your you. for your thoughtful answers, and your in your candor. Really appreciate that, and mm -hmm. we'll go ahead and let you up the hook. All right, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University, with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.